We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. John Van Brassen drops back, throws an icing pass upfield. Reggie Townsfield gathers it in on the dead run and races all the way to score for Los Angeles. A 72-yard touchdown play. First down inside his own five from his own end zone. Sacked in a safety on Rudolph. Aaron Donald and Clay Matthews got to him. Inspired by the presence of Captain Jack Youngblood, playing in pain with his broken leg. A savage Ram defense. They hand it to Steven. Great jump cut. 45 seconds. There's a whole burst to it. 20. Step to tackle. Runs left. 25 still on his feet. 10. 46 yard goal by number 39. Johnny Hecker, a high school quarterback, is going to throw. The fake is on it. He's got a first down to Stephen Bailey. Mike Jones needs a tackle. And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Rams Talk Radio with Derek C. Apollo and Michael Stewart. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, my co-host, my partner in crime, former Los Angeles Rams defensive back Michael Stewart. Mike, happy Monday. Lots happy and lots going on. Happy Monday for the fellas. Yes, it is. <laughs> so I got to ask you, how'd your season end? Hey, actually uh, ended on a, a up note. Ended up 2-2 two and two after covid 14-day set-outs, quarterback, top receiver set-out for another 14-28 total. And, uh, but, yes, we ended up on a winning note last week, and uh, so we got something good to look forward to going into this spring and summer. Interesting. So give us a preview. What's it looking like for the Drillers next year? Well, 
you know, it'll be year three for us. And so, uh, as I say, three is a charm, or at least it should be. Uh, but we're looking pretty good. We've got some great juniors coming back. Uh, I think we're t- we've turned a corner on new systems, new ways of doing things, new expectations. And so we uh, saw a lot of good things. But uh, if we can clean up some of the minor details, uh, we should be right there in the thick of things. Well, define thick of things like thick. Well, like- you know, we're we're chasing state championships here. You know, win a little. You know, it's a five game season. You know, you win your five game season, okay. But Bakersfield High, we're looking at for state championships. You know, minimum is Valley, so it's the five game season. You'll play ten games, five or non conference, and you have a five game season, so ten games total, and then you get into playoffs. So state championship run would be two additional three games for the Valley. And then hopefully you get voted to play into the state championship round Robin. Hmm. So, yeah, you guys do a, you guys do a round Robin in California. I didn't know that. Well, I say it's a round Robin in the sense of the state championship game usually takes four games. And so the winner out of those areas then play in the final state game so you'll have a team from uh what we call it south of us and then north of us as well so it's northern cal uh somewhat versus the southern california team or excuse me this the southern cal will have four teams that buy for the two team one game championship so you have a Southern section state champion, then a northern section state champion. So we would be in the southern section. Gotcha. Yes, sir. That sounds interesting for next year. And I yes. look, it looks like you're pretty excited for it. So, well, we're excited. I mean, this, this season was tremendous, a tremendous, as they say, grind in the sense of with all the COVID protocols, not looking like you're going to play. Then it's a spring season, and then you're trying to squeeze in all your sports into a spring season. So initially, it looked like it was only going to be football and a couple more, and then the tiers changed, or they wanted the tiers to change, and the next thing you know, all the sports are going in the spring. So vying for practice fields, practice times, you know, stadium use and all those things just became a little bit of a headache. Well, it was it was amazingly stressful year for a four game season. Very. Oh stressful. my gosh. Very. Yes. It, it may, honestly, it makes you wonder if it was worth it or not. I'm, I'm wondering if you thought about that. It's probably not something you want to talk about on the air, but I mean, well, was it worth it? Know, we'll I find do, out. You know how we rolled, Derek. I mean, truth is truth, and so for me. Personally, I don't know that it was worth it overall in the sense of we're going to turn right around here and start our summer, spring, June, I believe it's 14th is the day. So technically, we would be in spring ball right now, uh, but our summer date starts June 14th. And I'm not sure what some of the teams may try to do for this next month, but we're going to take it off. Pretty much at the Bakersfield High, you know, we'll we'll get in some lifting, but I just believe these kids uh, need to do something else for a little bit, and then we'll start back in the summer. Gotcha. Well, you know, it also starts in the summer too, right? 
What's that? The 2021 Los Angeles Rams, and that roster is now even more complete after a draft class that, shall I say, was probably among the most surprising that I've seen in terms of the directions they took. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's on it. If I can ask you for one sentence before we get into it, just one sentence that you would take to describe this draft, what was it? Puzzling. Puzzling. You didn't give me a sentence. You gave me one word. <laughs> Puzzling. Okay, I'll add a few words. Puzzling, to say the least. To say the least. Okay. So we're going to get into that. Before we do, folks, we're going to leave a couple moments for our sponsor. Jump on in. And also ask you, if you could, head on over to Apple Music, leave us a review. We'd really appreciate a five-star. Please, 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 five-star review. And if you have subscribed, Anywhere you listen to us, please do. We really appreciate it. All right, we'll be back in a moment with our sponsors. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. All right, so... Let's break this baby down. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start from. I'm going to start from the back and head at the front because you know we want to build a little bit up to that special surprise we got in the in the second round. So, in the seventh round, the Rams went with Chris Garrett, linebacker from Concordia St. Paul. Uh, outside linebacker was two fifty two on the chart. Um, the Rams have had luck late in drafts. Any thoughts on Mr. 252? Camp body or what? Well, again, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. And the reason why I say it was puzzling, it seemed like the Rams, and after listening to a few of the Sean McVay, Les Needs post draft, uh, conferences or that they had with the different reporting groups i've just never heard of we're drafting for special teams and that's kind of seemed like what they were doing they kept Ooh. referring to this guy's going to be great on special teams i'm like okay who drafts for special teams you draft for playing 
And then guys should be able to play special teams. So that was that's why I'm saying it's puzzling. So when I look at this pick, you know, they they say that, uh, you know, this guy has absolutely put up numbers at a D2 Concordia. Uh, but there was a consistent lean to me for guys that they felt had intellectual smarts. Concordia, pretty high academic place. Notre Dame speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, guy who ended up at Notre Dame transferred from Northwestern. You got a Northwestern on the board. So it seems like there was something, you know, their fifth round guy, we'll get to him, Ernest Brown from Northwestern. You know, these are kind of higher academic places. So, yeah, maybe you're looking for guys who have somewhat of high IQ. Uh, from those things and, and and maybe you figure you got guys at the other positions and you only need special team guys. But I just never heard of like literally drafting for special team roles, except maybe, you know, a special dude like a Eric uh Eric Metcalf, uh, that you know could be a dynamic returner for you. So but specifically for uh Chris Garrett, I think with his numbers, uh he could be a, a surprise. Uh as far as the draft, you know, in that seventh round, a lot of length, but, you know, a guy who had 15 forced fumbles. So he knows what to do when he gets to the ball. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there was a grade that technically kind of C, C plus. So I, I would agree with that because, you know, you just don't know why a guy failed to a D2 school. Maybe he was playing at a smaller school in high school and to get time chance to really do some of that research uh but i think as far as the size and what his reported athleticism is uh should be you know a good pick at the seventh round all right well just to comment on a couple of things that you you know there the 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 proclivity to jump to special teams get into intelligent guys what i noticed as well is they picked a lot of raw guys that's kind of the price they paid. Like, they took a lot of flyers in this draft. They took a yeah. lot. Of, I mean, these are guys that they're living off the reputation here for developing players, in my opinion. I mean, yes. we're going to find out how how real that reputation is now because they, these are guys that they are going to have to put some serious time in. For example, Let's let's go. Let's roll back. You know, going the seventh round, two forty nine. Ben Skaronic from Notre Dame. Like you mentioned, him. He's a guy that intelligent. They again, they relied a lot on these twenty four year olds, these seniors, these guys who've been around. Okay, bigger bodied, blocking help, some special teams. That's good. that's going to be good for him. Then you go up to this one was interesting. Jake Funk, number two thirty three, running back, Maryland. He said two ACL repairs. The guy clocked in, though, at a 4.43 40-yard, a 38-inch vertical jump, 22 reps, 225 pounds. This guy's an athletic monster who (laughs) two ACL surgeries puts you down a bit on that draft pipe. Special teams move, but... Could he be a guy they develop into a solid backup for Cam Akers? 
Yeah, and, and, and again, that's why I say puzzling that, again, I, I just keep going back to you have a draft department. You have people in your scouting organization. That's all you get paid to do is go out around the country. Certain scouts have certain parts of the country, build relationships, get the insight on maybe a sleeper and so on and so forth. So, again, we saw the Rams take a guy that had a major knee injury only to pay him a lot of money and trade him away, knowing coming into the league, he had limited ability as far as duration. So now we're going to go back and get a guy. You can say, well, it's a seventh round guy, but it's the same thing. You're still using a pick for a player. Why not get a pick that you know has a higher potential of making it? Or to what you said earlier, are the Rams just really, I don't want to say a little bit high on their own horse of we can find all the sleepers around the country and we give a guy an opportunity and maybe he's one of those guys that's now going to be more hungry than a guy who's played all four years and hadn't had to go through some adversity. So there's some pluses in that as well. If you get a kid who's gone through some adversity, you're going to hope that they're a little bit more serious. One of the common things they did say in a lot of their press post conferences is the enthusiasm that these guys have wanting to be around. So if that enthusiasm is then turned into equal desire. Yeah, you may have got a lot of great players that nobody's ever heard of. I mean, there's always a danger when it comes to guys had two ACL surgeries. Uh, but we've also had people like Frank Gore, Willis McGahey, who had major injuries you know, at some point in their careers, and they, Frank Gore is still playing. You've got to play till he's 50. You just never know. And then there's other guys like Todd Gurley who – his knee just kind of just degraded away, and all of a sudden he went from star to well, average. So you just never know. I'm thinking in this case with Jake Funk, if he if all there becomes is a good special teams guy, and hey, you need speed on special teams. A four four three guy on special teams is nice to have. You know, then more power to him. He could develop into back and running back for them. Great. I mean, I think it's a low risk move for that kind of, for those kind of athletic numbers. Now, but going on to earn, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, sometimes the numbers or the now reps on bench, yeah, that can tell if you're just strong. Sometimes these forty things can be deceptive. Some guys have excellent starts, and they can end up running four four. So on a on a you know, track surface, you know, those type of things when most of these 40s are timed on. You know, I want to kind of see a guy on the field and how that speed actually translates to playing. So let me just ask you this, Derek. I'm an agent. You're a GM. I go, uh, Mr. Ciapala, hey, uh, I have a great kid, uh, tremendous work ethic. He's graduated. He's done this. He's done that. Man, he can run a four four forty. Uh, 
The only thing you may not know too much about him, he's had some major knee injuries. Uh, he's only played 10 games in the last three seasons. Uh, but, man, we think he'd be a great fit for you. Are you signing that guy? I would want, I would want to see him. And I'd certain, I mean, this, that's, that's where the Rams were, round seven or undirected free agent kind of guy. I'm not, I'm not taking higher picks off for him. You know, I'm willing to consider. Let's just say that. Okay. I'm willing but to consider how it. Gonna, how much can you see in 10 games in three, three years? I mean, you know, and again, my I agree. Is, but when he was in games, when he was healthy, he played very well for a Maryland team, which we all know wasn't very good. So I, I, I see what you're saying. I also see, you know, when you're talking about running a four four three, I get you. But now they're running those four four threes on the same sort of people are playing on now. Well, my my biggest concern, it's not a concern. My my biggest thought or theory is. Okay, how many players are in the draft? How many running backs were in the draft or draft eligible? So all I'm suggesting is we, Rams, they have a scouting department. And at the seventh round, at the number 233rd pick, if we're looking for this type of person, special teamer, running back, you mean to tell me there's not someone else who has something similar, who has more proven games under his belt and less injuries? That's all I'm asking. Is there well, not another running back in the me, seventh round? Mike, let me ask you a question. This? You were drafted in yeah. the eighth round, correct? I was. Okay. And look at you. Look at yeah, all the years you played no in the league. Injuries. I had sure, no major injuries, but you're still eighth round, on. Mike. But I'm saying there's a reason why I was an eighth round pick. I didn't go to the combine. I was literally projected as a second to a fourth round pick, and didn't show up at the combine. I go, oh, I guess he's playing baseball. So I was in a catch twenty two where I'm playing in the PC two A Fresno State. Okay, and Bulldogs. so. You got, yeah, Bulldogs, a <laughs> little more reputa- reputation nowadays. But in those days, it was during, you know, some of the Bo Jackson thing. And it's like, hey, we don't want to waste a draft pick on a guy who might play another sport. So not saying that I might not have dropped to the seventh or eighth anyway, had I gone to the combine. But I think had I gone to the combine, I would have been in that projected two to four rounds. You know, more like three or four. Only say that when they were talking uh, with McVeigh and Les Snead, they're talking about these guys not really playing for a year or two. So I'm like, that was interesting because I ended up playing, you know, starting four games as a rookie and nine in playoff games the next year and playing a lot on special team, top performer there, and playing a lot of in the nickel from day one. So, yes, eighth round pick, but definitely a lot of upside. Now, I said earlier, what you do get in these rounds are guys that are more hungry. 
And you see it across the board, not just with the Rams, but throughout the free agent guy and the guy who's at sixth, seventh, eighth round guy. Those guys typically are a little bit more hungry. So you get winners in that sense because they're going to do everything they can to make sure that they're counted in the end. So those things are all advantages, absolutely. But here's my point. Okay, I'm hearing everything you're saying, but you had a reason you were in the eighth round. Well, this guy's bum knee is probably why he's in the seventh round. I mean, that, that's probably why he's in the seventh round. He, and the entire reason he was probably drafted was because after two knee surgeries, he still put the numbers he did. He still has enough film to at least look at. My point is this. In the seventh round, and these days you're almost in UDFA territory anyways. So why not go get a guy you think might contribute? And this, I mean, it's seventh round, not third round. You had your story, so why you were in the, in the eighth round? Well, he's got his story, but it doesn't mean they can't find things on film, find things in the interview, find things that um, in the pro day that they liked in order to go take them. Now, on that, that being said, we could it could be a total waste of a pick, just like you know many seventh round picks are. But well, I'm, I I'm just saying that there's that it's possible. That you can you can say that would speak for him is simply this: he came back from those he played at some point in time enough. But when you say seven point two yards per carry, that speaks for itself. You know what I mean? And know the, the ability to break tackles. So in the NFL, that's what you got to have: the ability. To not be tackled by the first first thing. I, I think you remember our great friend Gaston Green. Mm-hmm. Right? Gaston yep. Green had all kinds of abilities. And when he got in some open field, you were not going to catch him. What was the knock on Gaston Green? Injuries. Well, a little bit of injury, but he, he could go down easy. He wasn't like breaking away, breaking tackles. You know what I mean? So if you got a guy that they're talking about averaging 7.2 and can break tackles, well, that means this kid is tough. You know, and again, you think of Maryland, a little more academics, uh, but Maryland being somewhat coming back. I have a, a friend of mine I play college, his son will be a sophomore there this year. They're trying to get better, but they play in a decent league and, you know, they take some licks and give some. So guys that are at Maryland academically sound for the most part. And again, a lot of these guys are ones that could have probably played at other schools for whatever reason they end up at Maryland. And again, you can have a little chip on your shoulder little something to prove that adds into the mix. And obviously that's probably why the Rams grabbed a guy like this. I mean, I'm looking at, uh, I just sent to you too. There's a picture he has on his, on his Twitter of when he has ACL surgeries. There's both knees in the vaunted ACL knee brace. And I see the little, the, um, the little blue, um, the little blue kneecap thing like where ice gets pumped into you. And, uh, those hey, those bring back memories. <laughs> they, those bring back real memories from you know not very long ago. Two ACL surgeries, two ACL up knees. I mean, to to do one recovery was bad enough. This guy did two. Um, two sorry, two sorry crew. 
Four career starts, no senior bowl interest, no combine invite. As he was too slow, a fullback. Um, that was one in his Twitter feed, um, on his Twitter description. But the Rams liked him. I'm curious to know why. Like we're kind of just walking around. I'm curious as to what they saw, and hopefully we'll find out soon enough. That's, I mean, there are a whole lot of NFL credentials when you look at what he went through. And props to him, by the way, for for fighting his way back. But I mean, that's a long way to go. Hey, pick one seventy four, Ernest Brown for Northwestern. You mentioned him. Uh, he's a run stopper. He's a big guy. His length at six foot five to really kind of move around. Doesn't really have much of a pass rush. Um, some people kind of put him up along the same kind of prototype that Michael Brockers was. You know, Michael Brockers is more of a run stopper, not doesn't really give you much of a pass rusher. Uh, that was kind of how he's viewed here. Sets as a projects as a backup. Dame Brugler had him as a backup defensive end on a four man front. Again, Northwestern guy though. Considered then therefore pretty football intelligent. What were your thoughts? This is round five, pick one seventy four. Yeah, that's again a, a little bit of an interesting. You you let a guy go or not resigning, and then you bring a similar type in. Right. So it's like, okay, well they traded Brock. They traded Brock. Well, I mean, exactly. He's not here anymore. But you bring someone that's kind of the same kind of player. So then it's like a puzzling. That's why I'm saying puzzling. This draft is puzzling to me. Get rid of a guy, but you bring the same similar guy in. So maybe it was you felt like you couldn't afford the guy. Maybe age played a factor. You can get a similar guy, come out of college, and and maybe do similar things that Brock could do. And, you know, I don't know. But that to me is a little bit puzzling now. You look at the size and the things that they talk about, you know, being explosive enough to play outside linebacker full time. But again, what does that mean? So it goes back to one of our questions. One of your question is how much can this coaching staff jail early on and then get the production being that they're a new, somewhat new coaching staff? So there's got to be a belief that the coaches they have can transform and help these uh, young men and, and players, you know, somewhat adapt adapt to whatever their system that's going to be. I'm just speaking defensively now uh, rather quickly. And again, this guy's from Northwestern. Maybe you just feel, you know, they have a high IQ that they can come in, learn the scheme pretty quick. And then that gives you an advantage. Well, I mean, for well, one for Brock, they traded Brock because he wouldn't take a pay cut. Many need a pay cut. That's what that's what their reasoning was. To, I mean, this is part of the whole taking your med. I think this is the taking your medicine part. Like we knew that as the Rams got top heavy and had to yeah. make those cutting moves. Now you got to rely on the draft. You got to take your medicine. You you have to develop these guys cuz if not you're screwed. Like you got to find guys to who can meet your special teams, who can you do you can develop make into basically cheap 
cheap labor. <laughs> I mean, because your salary cap right now, at least until all of the the bad the dead money contracts are off, until the the new media contract kicks in and bumps that salary cap back up to where it should be, they gotta do this. They they don't have a whole lot of leeway, so they have to almost, in my view, find the diamonds in the rough, the guys who you might be able to make something out of. So you you need to rely on the the players who know the game, who are smart, and are athletes. They technique wise, they might be rough, but they can work with the other parts. That's my that's my theory on this. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And if you want to add into that is the fact that because of this strapped salary cap across the board, there's probably going to be some free agent guys who may fit the needs that they're looking for, like right away. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But a guy who's now a free agent and he still wants to play in the league and can play, well, he's probably not going to be as strong and like well no you guys better pay me my worth well if you want to get paid you might want to come over here and sign this one year tenure with some incentives and let's see what you have so it just seems like again if you're drafting most of these guys and you're saying they feel a need on special teams again we talked a little bit a few weeks ago about they must they have a plan that they're executing so when you listen to either Les Snead or Coach McVay, they sound like they're executing exactly as they planned, which means to me, okay, you guys must feel like you got a couple uh, rabbits you're going to pull out the hat once this uh, camp and people start getting released starts happening. Yeah. And, and, that, and that takes us up to the next pick on the, on the draft board here. you got... In the fourth round, pick 141, wide receiver slash tight end, Jacob Harris. And he uh, was described to Jordan Arik from the athletic as a athletic project. And by athletic, this guy is a genetic freak show. I mean, the numbers on him athletically are bananas. Absolutely bananas. See if I can find exactly what I had for it. But we're talking about a 4340. For a fourth round raw wide receiver slash tight end project, who's six foot five. I mean, the the numbers on him are bananas. Okay, but I remember a certain other athletic tight end they drafted not too long ago, who I still believe can be something in this league, but he never really panned out. What's his name? He's no longer with us. Uh, I believe it's Gerald Everett. Ding, 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 ding. Now, Everett was a second rounder. This is a fourth rounder, but six foot five, four, three, forty. But you couldn't develop the last guy the way we thought he could be developed. Uh, but they, hey, they developed another fourth rounder in Tyler Higby. I mean, I don't know to think about that one, but pure athlete. If they can get this pure athlete in the board, that's a winning, winning, winning draft right there. Yeah, one of the, you know, again, knocks on him a little bit is he struggles as a blocker. He lacks consistency as a receiver. 
He's a 24-year-old late bloomer, as it stated. So, again, just two years of production in college. So I don't know if he just played two years of college, you know, after I don't know where he had been or if he transferred. I don't know if two means two total or if it means he transferred from a junior college. But let's just say if it's two total, he was doing something else. And then he decided, man, I'm going to go back to school and play some football. Okay, come on out. So if you can now, again, as you said, find this diamond in the rough and now bring him in. And the next thing you got, the next Antonio Gates, if you will. Now, Antonio was a basketball player in college as well. But still, you make a switch from college basketball to the NFL and end up a Hall of Famer. If this guy at this size running a 4-3, that's crazy. Now, one of the things, again, you know, on some of these conferences, post-conferences with uh, McVay and Mr. Les Snead is they were ecstatic about this pick, figuring that, you know, he, he can put his hand in the ground. He can play at the tight end position. He can play at the wideout position. So going back to your theory from last year that Coach McVay would like to use more of two tight ends, now you got a guy who could be a legitimate slash H-back slash fullback because he's already knows how to put his hand on the ground, and he also knows how to be a wideout. You know, this could be one of those things, again, you get him in NFL system, NFL weight room, so on and so forth. And now you really got something that people are like, wow, that's incredible. And you can't forget they drafted a guy last year, too, who, who they felt progressed well in their system this last year. So I, I think this pick makes a lot of sense, especially where it was at. I don't think there's anything. I think it's actually a good pick to try and. You know, if he if he pans out, that that's a guy who is worth every risk you're taking with him. The next guy up, Robert Rochelle, pick one thirty cornerback from Central Arkansas, another athlete, speed, reactive, six zero, uh, six foot, one ninety three, meaning NFL level athlete, high ceiling, has everything you'd want except. The fundamentals are, as Dane Brugler put it, sporadic. Okay, so he'll give up his his uh, his fair share of big plays. This is where I miss Aubrey Pleasant being gone. I'm not gonna lie to you, because if Pleasant was still there, I'd be a lot more confident in Rochelle being developed. I mean, he helped develop. Man, he helped develop uh, Troy Hill. I mean. He's been a part of helping the whole secondary, and now he's gone. So I'm a little bit nervous on that, but again, another developmental pick, a guy that could wind up being a star for them down the line if developed, and it pans out. But, Mike, that's a lot of ifs. (laughs) You mean your name is not DCF, if Apollo tonight? Yeah. (sighs) There are. And so, again, you look at these picks and go, again, my thing is puzzling. Uh, when you look at this speed and all those kinds of things, okay, does that mean they're trying to go more man up? Okay, you got a J- Jalen Ramsey there. Uh, those type of things uh, play to your favor. But, again, if you can get a guy that's from Central Arkansas to transfer 
you know, he's living in the state of Arkansas. Oh, man, I should have been a Razorback. No, I'm at Central Arkansas. So, again, you have a guy, maybe have a little tip on the shoulder, something to prove. Maybe he's that guy that comes early, stays late, you know, wants to prove to the world he can play well on the big stage. And so what it does sound like is a guy like him is going to get an opportunity to get reps. And that's usually what it takes to transition from college into a good uh, NFL player is you have to have the ability to get yourself some reps. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully with those reps, you're doing some good things that your confidence grows because if you're just getting burned all over the place, your confidence can dwindle. But from everything uh, you heard that, or I've heard, you know, he's going to have a bit of a learning curve. But if you can get all those things put into place, uh, you, you again, you, you're going to look like the greatest draft department in the NFL. <laughs> and I would, I would love if that happened. I would absolutely love it if it happened. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Means things panned out the way you want to. Made a lot of people look like fools because, hey, there are a lot of people who rated this. A lot of experts, quote unquote, rated this draft as a D minus, a D draft, a C draft. Obviously, just not a great draft. And when that comes to when that happened, actually, seems to happen a lot with the Rams. And for the most part, they make their drafts work. This one's. This draft, for me, took a, a ton of leaps. A lot more leaps than I thought they would. Bobby Brown, pick 117 official tackle from Texas A&M. Uh, another guy who is athletic. Raw athletic. He's explosive. He's a guy they believe, that at least Dane Brugler believes in his analysis, that only, only a redshirt year to figure out how to use all this stuff. But... He's multiple, so this could be a steal if the Rams gave him time. And I do like Eric Henderson on the defensive line. I, I like we're being around that. I think he's a guy that you know, not this year, but maybe next year he'll be a guy that can step in and be ready for you. Thoughts on him, Mike? The only thing that comes to mind for me is, uh, you know, every little step I take. <laughs> Master of the dance floor, Bobby Brown. <laughs> I was waiting for you to roll with that. Yeah, had to go there. Had to go there. Okay, so then I'll move on to pick 103 then. <laughs> Ernest Jones, linebacker, South Carolina. He's a guy viewed, he's viewed as really tough, really physical leader. Um, he's not the athlete that other people um, drafted in this class are. He's more, he's not. Um, really view as a guy who is strong in coverage. A guy who, to me, Mike, it seemed like this was a description of the guys you already have. They can he can stop the run, make tackles, lacks athleticism. But they went for him and in the introductory phone call to him. They asked him, "Are you ready to lead this defense to a Super Bowl? Lead this defense." I mean, that, that's some pretty strong words. Your thoughts on Ernst Jones? Linebacker, South Carolina. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, you you hope that these guys, you know, they've played against some some major talent, you know, playing in in South Carolina, you know, so they played some major games. So guys like this, 
maybe unlike myself coming out of Fresno State, yeah, we get 35,000. We're like, yes, you know, these guys have actually played before 80, 90, 100,000. You know, they played in some big games. So you, you hopefully all those things have carryover. And it sounds like for what they want him to do, he might be able to come in and play a lot. I just don't like these when it's going, hey, he's solid against the run. Hey, he has decent measurable. Hey, but he's not the most athletic linebacker. What? What do you mean? We need athleticism at the linebacker position. So he has limitations in coverage. What? So what does that mean? He's not really a a four-down linebacker. He's only down for the the run-stopping stuff. So then it's like, okay, are we going to tailor the scheme to fit what it doesn't seem like we he doesn't have maybe at at the skills needed for certain things you know so again puzzling because you're now up in the third round pick you want this person to probably if he's not starting starting soon and you would like these picks third second first round to really be picks that pan out, not that you're kind of taking a flyer on some things. So, mm-hmm. but to your 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 testament, if they're saying, like, is he ready to lead? There's must have been talk that they're expecting him to come in and be a opening day starter. Well, what's crazy is there was a linebacker by the name of Jabril Cox who was mocked by quite a few people. To go to the Rams. And the Rams passed on him twice. And he does bring versatility. He does bring athletes into the position. Matter of fact, Cox didn't make it out. Um, made it through day one and day two. Went in round four of the draft. That blows my mind. The Rams passed on him. So there, there was something in Ernest Jones they liked. And I'm not sure if that meant there was something in Cox they didn't like. But... They, for once, they went away from the athleticism and went for a guy they felt gave them something. I just wonder, don't they already have a guy like this by the name of Micah Kaiser? Yeah, exactly. a run stop. I mean, that's what comes to mind. Unless they don't think Micah can stay healthy. Right. Or they think this guy is a step up from him. You know, but again, it's like they're getting, you know, it's like Legos. If you're building... You know, not just a regular ship. You're building a different rocket ship with boosters. You need different pieces. But it's like, okay, why are we getting the same pieces to fill either a piece we let go or a piece we already have? Puzzle. So, again, I just have to believe and trust that they're in the rooms, they're at the practice field. They know what they see or what they've evaluated from some of these guys that have been drafted that it's going to actually pan out long term. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it just seems like some of these are just okay, similar piece that we have. That's interesting. And so, in fairness, you know, like Jabril Cox, his concern is injuries. Well, again. I'm trusting that their evaluation, again, they're looking at these guys going all the way back to high school. So they're looking at your character. They're asking coaches what your work habits are. How do you treat people down to the 
janitorial staff at a school or at college? You know, how many times did you break or miss curfew in college? You know, all those things. And obviously, you know, they're going to look at the health aspect of things as well. But uh, yeah, overall, it just seems like we have a guy that kind of is in the same mode. So what what gives that we get a similar guy unless, you know, they're going to maybe go to a four or three. I don't know. Yeah. I've been wondering that too. I've been wondering if they're going to start moving in that direction with the, the change, you know, the change at defensive coordinator going away from, away from a three, four, but they were kind of hybriding it out anyway. So who knows our, our last pick two, two out. Well, by receiver at Louisville, five foot nine, one fifty five ish, super fast, super small. <laughs> when I saw this pick, Mike, I, I thought, haven't we been here before? But they do need speed. They do need a deep threat. That's more of a long term guy. You know, Deshaun Jackson's this year. Uh, what were your thoughts on Tutu Atwell? Yeah, you know. I, I I can see the thinking of it, but if we're somewhat deep, a little bit deep at receiver, again, you know, my pre-draft, I, I thought we needed a lineman, but obviously they keep saying, well, we have 11, 11 linemen who have played meaningful games, and I'm going, okay, just because they played in meaningful games, did they actually rate out? Rate out in meaningful play. So I'm like, okay, we got another wide receiver. Another receiver. So is a little bit, again, puzzling to me that, okay, we got a, a wide receiver with our highest pick. But, again, they must have a plan. And, you know, we always say speed kills. You can't have too much speed. Uh, so if the guy can catch and can stretch the field, I thought we had that in Van Jefferson, unless this guy is way faster than him. Uh, and we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, that, this one was a little bit of an interesting pick at the number two pick, 57, for us. I mean, if they're, if they're using him as someone who can get outside and get downfield fast, open up underneath, and if he's the kind of guy that does that, more power to you. Um, if he's a the guy that can use – on some jet sweep action, some screen action that can have a good fast burst and get out of there. Yeah, that's great. But is there also a chance we may see a murder on the field with this game, with him? Uh, it sounds almost ignorant to say, but he's 155. 155 getting chased by some really fast dudes who are powerful and sometimes even almost double his weight. I, I wonder if they really want to go this route. Especially since they had other other prospects on the board, but if he works out, he's a weapon. And in case we haven't noticed, that offense has, been, has not been right for a couple of years now. So weapons are good to have. We'll see. Um, I'm overall not sure how to feel with this draft. And I guess it's kind of where I want to end the podcast today. We'll look at UDFA's later in the week. But when you grade this draft out, what do you give it looking at where everybody is? Myself, I'm not going into the D and 
I, I'm going to give it a, a solid just a C. I'm gonna put you right in the middle. Is it definitely wasn't stellar, but it wasn't the worst ever. Uh again, I think if they're sticking to what seemed to be their draft philosophy was to fill some spots on special teams, it would seem those things are accomplished. If you're trying to build a little bit more depth, you didn't do that. You know, you had, I think, everything you need, especially at wide receiver. Now, to your point, Deshaun Jackson may be a one-year rental. Maybe he has a resurgence and he gets signed for another additional years. I saw a tweet earlier that 40-year-old Mike Vick still run a 4-7, which probably... (laughs) He's not doing too much. So I've always said when guys who are super fast, when they get slow, they're still faster than most people. So uh, Jack, if he can stay healthy, could be one of those those situations. But again, 155 at the NFL level, you know, if you're not getting hit because you're juking people and you just run around and getting down and out of bounds, well, you'll be fine. You're too small to hit if you look at it from that standpoint. However, if you're getting caught left and right, yeah, that wear and tear will take on you. So for me overall, solid C. How about you? I I want to cop out, man, and say to be determined. <laughs> but that's not what we do here. <laughs> so, <laughs> um <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say that We're gonna go. I'm gonna go B minus, and reserve the right to change it on a later date. Okay. Um, I think it'll be another cop out to wait until it's successful and say, "Yeah, I changed it to an A now or horrible." It says it's an F, but uh, one year from now, let me go back and, and reevaluate it. And the, re- the reason why is this because this. This class has so much quote unquote potential in it. This could easily transition into an A draft. And I think we'll know reasonably quickly whether that happens or not. Um, but it also ha- if those drafts bomb out, this is a lost year, man. This is a lost year. If these guys come in here and they do the job on special teams, and everybody else pans out on the roster. The offensive line is as good as the Rams obviously think it's going to be, and there's no other problems there. And you know these guys go the Littleton route and develop from from special teams on up. Then it's a worthy draft. You know it's it's a good draft if they if people get hurt if they fail to learn the system if they can't reach the level of their athleticism in many cases, then it's gonna be an F draft. And I just think that right now I, I I see what I see why they did what they did. And because I see why they did it and because it did mark off many check marks on their box or on their their needs list in my view, I'll give them the B minus. I just don't know if the risk they took will equal Success. 
In past years, Mike, I would have said this is a bomb draft. It's an F. These guys are morons. Um, but given their recent success, I think they've earned the benefit of the doubt, and they certainly know more than I do. So given the fact that this is, to me, a feast or famine kind of draft, I'm going to, you know, a B minus with a wait and see approach. How's that sound? That sounds like uh, you're on a high wire act. <laughs> and you have a closer than normal net. That uh, <laughs> it's probably true, but you know what? It, I'm telling. I'm not lying. I'm not trying to walk a high wire act. I really haven't made up my mind about how I view this draft because I literally, I really do see their vision on it. I just don't know that I share their optimism. But I see the vision. I see their belief in themselves that they can develop these guys. And if they do, it's going to be a fine draft. And I look back on the Rams historically going back into, oh, say, the Michael Stewart era. <laughs> and that part of me comes back and said, he's the Rams, man. They, they've had many more failures and successes, but... Go back and around. Go around the crazy person circle. The crazy cycle, okay, so to speak. They've had four straight winning seasons, and this is the most successful administration they've had there since the mid-80s. That's why I'm walking with Tyra, because I really don't know. And I know in sports talk, it's better if we take a stand one way or the other and be wrong. You know me. I'm willing to be wrong. I'll I'll admit to it. But in this case, I'm being honest. I just... Mike, I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this. I don't know what to think about it. I, there are red flags there, but there's also a lot of things there that tell me if they're right, this could be a legendary draft for them. If they're wrong, it's notorious. So I think we can agree that the defense, barring any major injuries, should be solid, right? It should be okay. I worry about oh, the linebackers. Wait a minute. You don't think solid? You lost your defensive coordinator. True. You know, I mean, you have a solid defensive coordinator that's coming who actually has more experience. Sure. But sure. It's transit is so. Where's your hesitation? My hesitation is the same hesitation I had with Brandon Staley last year. Is I don't know how he'll fit with this team. I don't know how he'll fit on in this organization. Raheem Morris is a fantastic coach. Um, there's a reason why he was one of the younger head coaches in the league when hired. And even though he didn't work out, he he did a great job. With a train wreck in Atlanta last year, he has been successful elsewhere. He's a leader of men. Yet, until I see him stepping into that role and then coordinating around the losses of Michael Brockers and Troy Hill and John Johnson, I'm hesitant. So are you cautiously hesitant or hesitant, hesitant? I think you're gonna you're gonna draw this out of me, aren't you? 
<laughs> I think so, let's, you, let's do this because my thing is this. I'm thinking myself for the most part, I'm going to say the defense should be solid, taking into consideration your concerns. That's going to be any time you have change at the position coaches, changes sometimes the dynamic in the rooms, at the defense coordinator. You know, how does he fit, you know, with head coach? And, you know, do they uh, – I don't think they would have brought him in if they didn't already talk about, you know, thoughts on what they thought, how the defense should run, and expectations. So. That's the only thing I'm relying on. You have a solid guy who's actually been a head coach. He's went into some difficult situations, seems to do pretty well with him. You you have a guy that seems to have a great reputation of those things you noted, being a mentor, a communicator, all those things. So my thing was, if we just jumped to the offense and just did a real quick go down by position based on projected starters for this year, if you looked at the quarterback position, would you say that's solid, Matthew Stafford? Yeah. If you looked at running back, Cam Akers. Yep. Wide receiver, Robert Woods at one, Van Jefferson at the other. Yes, with an asterisk for Deshaun Jackson. If he's healthy, great. If not, uh-oh. Yeah, they, you know, that's going to be some competition. Now, slot, I think we would say Cooper Cuff is legit. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, they kind of have Tutu Atwell as being the guy who might back him up, but he's got to jump uh, Nassim Webster and J.J. Kowski. Kowski. But anyway, Tyler Higby, I will say, is solid. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Left tackle. A little long in the teeth, but Andrew Whitworth, I think, is solid. Left guard. You know a little bit more about them. They have David Edwards. What would you think? Is he solid? The guards are fine. Center's a concern. Left. Well, we got Austin Corbett. Yeah, with- Corbett, Edwards. You ha- you know they you have guys there, and so when you're when you're looking at the offensive line, the thing that concerns me is in the last two years we've seen, well, last couple years we've seen this offensive line break down more towards the end of the year. They tire out, and you're going to tire a lot more when you get, when you got a four year old over the, over there at left tackle. So. You know, the fact that they didn't actually go out there and spend any draft picks on the offensive line concerns me. So let me just kind of bring this all together because I, you're, you're, I see what you're doing. You're breaking everything down and you're trying, you know, you're trying to, to bring it together. I'm going to go back to what I said and I started saying yeah. it last year. The Rams are taking their medicine. Yes. Okay, they had to let go of guys. They had they, they had contracts where they didn't work. They had to move players around. And listen, when you let John Johnson go, when you let Troy Hill go, when you trade away Michael Brockers, you didn't replace those guys in the draft. You just didn't do it. That's true. Okay. So, do I think the defense will be solid? Yes. Do I think it'll be as good as last year? No. And it will be no fault whatsoever of Raheem Morris. He's got less talent to work with. True. Okay. The offensive line has concerns. The receivers, you know, I think they're fine. You got you got a speedster there who is not sit healthy though. 
heir, a guy who is the heir, now the heir apparent, who has to learn the game is a little bit raw, therefore they do. That's why I'm saying the jury's out. Did they do enough with the picks they had to supplement? But it's all about, in my view, taking the medicine. And some of that medicine's not their fault. We've, we, you know, we've hit up on the cyber cap a lot. And, so, and that's not the Rams' fault. The Rams entered the 2021 season expecting to have a different salary cap than what they got. And that's BS for all the teams who actually took time to spend their money. There are people who say, well, stop whining, stop whining. Listen, you could say the Rams dug their grave if they were over the cap by plan knowing what it was going to be, but they didn't know what it was going to be. They thought it was going to be something else. Everybody in the league thought it was something else. And all of a sudden, you had to shift everything. So, when you when that comes down to it, and they did it, and they did a hell of a job, by the way, shedding, shedding money. They did, but they paid the price for it. John Johnson is no longer a Ram because of it. Michael Brocker is no, lo- is no longer a Ram because of it. I think if the cap was what it was before, those two players are still here. And we're talking a different game. That's my story. I'm sticking to it. There you go. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's, it's a take your medicine kind of thing. You, it's just... The question is, you know, are the 49ers back? Are the Seahawks able to solve their issues? Are the Cardinals ready to step up? But if I'm honest, Mike, I don't think it's about this year. I think it's about next year for the Rams. I, I thought that 2021 was going to be it, but that's before COVID wrecked it. Now I think it's about 2022. Because you got to fill those gaps and get them ready. And get some yeah, money back in, yeah, get some money back in your column that you can actually spend something. Right now they can't. Right. right. Yeah. So, but any closing thoughts there, Killer? No, man. I just, I just think uh, it's very interesting. We talked about uh, we would know a little bit more what the Rams' direction is. I think we pretty much have hit on a number of points on what direction they're going, and I, I somewhat have to agree with you, uh, though it's a little bit discouraging because you figure new stadium, new things, got a pretty big quarterback. But the reality is there is a lot of change. And can you get all those things done still in somewhat of a COVID era in the next, what, three months at this point? You know, so that's kind of a lot to ask. Uh, Again, when you're playing at the NFL level and playing in the the conference that we play in. uh, And so it's going to be a big feat, but. I think you, you may be out front, man, with, with the horse right now, DC, just making a notation that it just may not be about this year because it's just a lot. And then again, my thing is if you're actually drafting special team players for special teams, okay, cool. But again, some of the needs it seemed like we needed addressed didn't really get addressed that much unless all these guys just turn out to be super duper. The thing is, it's the NFL. And I tip my hat off for any rookie that comes in, no matter what school goes in and has a high impact. There's just so much to learn 
The speed is different. There's so much to ask. You get so much thrown at you in a shorter period of time. Uh, and I think that's what ultimately may have happened with uh, Rap last year, even though he was injured. But, you know, maybe they were just changing up some things, but it just didn't seem like he was on top of his game as he was his rookie year where, you know, it looked like he was just really going to be solid. So I'm saying at the end of the day, I give it a stick with my C and, uh, you know, I think we'll be in the hump, but I do have to agree with you that it look, it looks more like just now after the draft that it may not be about 2021, but more like 2022. I mean, if you, if you look at the other way, it, is it a developmental draft? I think a lot of those players are developmental. Good point. You know, guys, yeah. guys who will help make your special teams better this year, and you progress them from there. And, and Lord knows they needed, geez, they needed, they needed special teams help. So at least they got that. Just point that out. <laughs> yes, sir. All right, you can follow us on Twitter at Talk Rams. You can follow me on Twitter at DC Apollo. You can follow Mike at One Duke Twenty Three. Don't forget us at RamsTalk.net, and also don't forget Buddy Hens will be back this week with their views of the draft, and we'll be back with a look at the UTFAs. And it's an interesting list. We'll talk to you then. Have a great one. We're out of here. We're out. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.